Hello, constant listener. While I find the discussion on demonism and exorcism to be fascinating, I also believe that it is very important to explore medical and scientific explanations before squaring possession as an answer. It is a very extraordinary and unlikely explanation for something. So, you're probably asking yourself, Tasha, why are you being such a wet blanket? Constant listener, you come to visit with me to be scared. You come to listen and enjoy moments with me that can terrify a person. So, why would I put such a realistic context around possession this early in my episode? Because of people like Anna Elizabeth Michael. She was a German woman in the 1970s who was diagnosed with depression, episodes of epilepsy, and had an intolerance for known medical treatments at that time. Her parents, desperate for answers, sought out religious leadership and arrived at the label of possessed. They tied her down as a prisoner for so long, she suffered malnourishment and dehydration until her death after 67 exorcism sessions. Her case is one of the more famous, and very sadly, her fate isn't individual. Even today, there are multiple cases around the world of people attempting exorcism to the detriment of human life. In January of 2020, there were reports of a community in Panama called the Ngabe Bugle. Again, please forgive me if I mispronounce their names. Within this area, a rogue religious sect called the New Light of God had been operating for about three months before extreme exorcisms set in. In this isolated village, there were 10 lay preachers who went about their community and kidnapped people from their homes. Men, women, and yes, children. They were tortured, beaten, burned, and hacked with machetes, compelling people to repent and to be exercised of the sins they housed. Three villagers escaped the madness that was happening and on foot made their way to a local hospital at another community nearby. When authorities raided the location, it was in a remote jungle region about 155 miles north of Panama City. As they arrived, they were greeted with a mass grave of seven people, one of which was a pregnant woman, but the rest were children. A mile from that was a structure described as an improvised church holding 15 more people, still alive. Officers found a naked woman, machetes, knives, and a ritually sacrificed goat in the structure. If the kidnapped persons did not declare repentance, a subverted rite of exorcism was practiced that involved torture and ended up in death. These events lasted for about four days before authorities arrived to raid the location. I don't know about you, but to me that is truly horrific, barbaric, and evil. And what's even worse is that was only last year. And while this podcast does dabble in the mystery and fables of the world mixed with true experiences, I also do believe that creating a context and logical fences around what is entertainment should be refocused every now and again. I love horror because I believe it is a medium for which 
we may be able to place a lens between a societal fear and materializing that into a common monster. The true story told today does involve suspected possession. No exorcisms or rites are in this story, and frankly, religion is a very complex and massive subject. All I focus on today for you, constant listener, is this person's experience while serving a religious mission in England. All names have been altered for the privacy of the constant listener who submitted this story. We must be willing to take care of one another in this world, and I'm glad to visit with you today, constant listener. I'm Tasha Wheelhouse, and this is Copper Shock. About 13 years ago, I was on my mission for the Mormon Church. We don't call ourselves Mormons anymore, as that was a nickname from the early days of the church's existence. But also, truthfully, the name Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is pretty much a mouthful also. So for the purposes of this story, I will be using the name Mormon to describe my religion. I'm female, and while it's a bit more common now for young women to opt into a mission, it wasn't back then. I remember feeling really excited. Going on a mission is not only an opportunity to share your faith, but also see a bit of the world. Many missionaries come back with lifelong lasting tales. I've got a story too, but it wasn't the make you feel good kind. That year, my friends and I were waiting for our letters to arrive about where we were going to be called to go. They were called to exotic places like Hawaii, Russia, Indonesia, Argentina, and Canada. Yes, exotic Canada. (laughs) It's exotic when you're from Scotland. When my calling came, I opened up the letter to feel a slight disappointment. I was going to the United Kingdom. Now, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with the UK, but for living in a small village in Scotland my whole life, going to London as a calling was a bit like being called to adventure in my backyard. Not exotic, intrepid, or even unfamiliar. I decided to make the best of it and go with an open heart. A year and a half of serving others and reaching out about my faith in Christ was going to be a challenge. I figured it's best to be as optimistic as possible. One afternoon, my companion and I were reading our scriptures when we received a call. My companion during this phase of my mission was Sister Garcia. She was awesome, and we got along just great. I saw her reach over and pick up our landline. I sat there listening to her half of the conversation. Hello? Hmm, yeah. Oh, I think that sounds great. Mm Mm-hmm. To explain really fast what a companion is, Mormon missionaries always travel in pairs. Your companions change out over time during your mission, but you've always got a buddy system. 62? Yes, yes, I've got it written down. Thank you, brother. She hung up the phone and looked at me, hopefully. Hey, we got an appointment! She smiled and handed over a piece of paper. I turned it over, and it had a simple address that was about a 25-minute commute from where we lived. They'd like us to come over and pray with them, said they're having some difficulty with family, and they would like some missionaries nearby. Do they need a blessing or anything like that? No, I mean, they didn't say much more than what I just said, but 
Perhaps when we go over, we could ask if there's any kind of service we could help with. I nodded. The best way to help someone, even if they weren't interested in hearing the gospel, was to offer help in their life in another way. Doing dishes, helping someone move, etc. And in this case, it was wanting company for a prayer. Honestly, that's not unusual of a request. The next day, Sister Garcia and I packed up our gospel lessons into our backpacks. We put on our name tags and began walking to the underground. Sister Garcia frequently wore her hair in a bun and a black button blazer that she'd wear over a long paisley blue dress. As we stood on the platform waiting for the train, I was musing over the journey. She and I had to travel decently far. I liked taking the train with Sister Garcia. She was a pleasant person who could always find the right words with most strangers around her. We went all the way to Hornchurch Station before we exited and started to walk over to the street of our appointment. The day was overcast and cooler as we walked. How many in the family would we be visiting? I asked. Sister Garcia shrugged and then responded. He didn't say, but he mentioned his sick mother, so I think there's at least two of them. Hornchurch is a quaint little town, with familiar sets of rows of homes, and as she and I walked, a slight wind picked up. Eventually, Sister Garcia and I came upon the home we were meant to visit. I looked at the address on the paper once more to confirm the right number and placed it in my pocket. We walked up and knocked on the door. The face of this home was weathered, to say the least. The red brick facade was stained from hard water and lawn sprinklers, and the windows were trimmed with a chipped dark brown paint that was certainly peeling. The whole thing struck me as a building that was ill, sickly even. A stomach ache from within it made it want to cry out. A man stood there. Skin under his eyes were dark and baggy. He looked as though he hadn't had at least a week's worth of sleep. Sister Garcia perked up. Hello, brother. I'm Sister Garcia, and this is my companion here. She pointed at me, and I gave a small, friendly wave. She is Sister McDunn. The man's facial expression barely changed, but he nodded and stepped back, letting the door swing inward naturally. As I walked past him, I did give him a slight measurement check. He wasn't muscle-bound, but he was definitely tall and a big guy. Not an Adonis, just a sort of person where you'd look at him and think, that guy is a natural tank. He wore a tattered green polo that had the fabric fringing around the edges in some places. Sister Garcia then held up her hand to the man while holding her Bible in the other arm. It's lovely to meet you. Thank you for inviting us into your home. Your name was Mr. Coulter, wasn't it? The man nodded. Thank you for taking our call and coming to pray with us. I looked around and I didn't see another person anywhere in the small living room that would indicate who us was. The man noticed I was looking for the sign of another soul. He cleared his throat and rubbed his nose, sniffing. 
My mother is very ill and cannot leave her bed. Her room is just at the top of the stairs. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear she's not well, I said politely. The man nodded and began to slowly walk up the stairs ahead of us. I remember the meaningful look my companion gave me before we even began walking up those stairs. We trailed about four or five steps from where Mr. Coulter was as we ascended upward. The top of the stairs had no windows, and it dissipated into a dark corner of a hallway. Mr. Coulter then placed a hand on a door, second door to the right. He turned the handle with his other hand and gently leaned in. I could hear him softly say behind the door, Mother, they're here. He leaned back out, opening the door and stepping aside. His arm extended into the direction of the door, inviting me to go in first. I stood there a moment, then stepped forward. In most new visits, within 20 seconds of stepping into a home, Sister Garcia lights up like Christmas to ask the new person about themselves and what they love to do and how is their family. She has a gift for gab. But she felt as much as I did that something was off. I could tell, because like a canary in a coal mine, she was quiet. As I turned the corner to step past the large Mr. Coulter, the room was even darker than anything in the hallway. Pungent smell hit my nostrils hard. It was a mold-like smell that had a vinegar undertone. It got stronger as the door swung wide. Sister Garcia and I were then introduced and moved forward to meet Mother. The room had thin curtains drawn over the windows for very, very hazed illumination. No lamps were on or even candles lit. I didn't think about it downstairs, but yes, the whole house didn't have any electricity turned on. I didn't notice it before because of the natural daylight coming through the windows downstairs. I looked to Mother's bed in the corner. Through the dark haze of the thin-drawn curtains, I could see her. She lay face up on her pillow. It's hard to describe to you how much dread wrapped around my heart as I started to look around the room stepping toward the bed. She gestured her hand, patting the side of the bed. Come sit with me. Her hair was so thin, you could see bald spots. My eyes followed the shape her body took under the blanket. I stopped to observe her knees. The blanket tidily tucked down under the nub of her knees. She had no legs. Sister Garcia stayed close at my back as we approached. Her skin had a slightly sallow blue tone, her lips thin. Mother certainly wasn't well. Sit down. The old woman asked my companion and I again. I looked at Sister Garcia, and she didn't move toward the bed at all. I took every effort within me to take a step forward and sit at the very foot corner of the bed. 
honestly, I sat as far away from Mother as I could. There we are. So, where are you from? I stumbled over my words. We're, uh, well, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm from the outskirts of Glasgow, and my companion. I looked back to Sister Garcia, and I felt the blood drain from my face. I glanced over her head to behind her. Above the bedroom door we had just passed under were four crucifixes of varying size, all nailed to the wall, upside down. I looked down from above the door to the door frame, where Mr. Coulter and his entire body was blocking the doorway. I felt panic begin to rise within me. I don't go to Scotland myself very often. She pointed to her cut-off legs, almost as if she were trying to land a very bad joke. I tried to laugh, but it was so forced. The breath within it was so unsupported and shaky that no one in that room could mistake it for fear. As my eyes continued to adjust to the darkness, I began to take in the smell a bit more. The horrific smell, it was radiating from the walls. Each wall around us had discolored drip patterns running down from the ceiling to the floor, almost like they were crying and smearing the wallpaper on the way down. So, so, sisters. She took in a deep and rasping breath that sounded like it scratched her throat. Do you believe in God? Yes, sister. My companion said, and I felt her take a step toward me from behind. The tone in her voice was defensive, and almost like she was preparing for a fight. Hmm. Hmm. What kind of prayer shall we say today? I'd be happy to offer one, I said out loud. I'll admit to you, I volunteered myself so I could say as short a prayer as was okay to just excuse ourselves. I looked to the floor as I began to play with my hands nervously. The floorboards underneath Mother's coverings had a lot of scratches, some in almost recognizable patterns, but others seemed to be some kind of loose symbol. All of these scratches were outstretching from underneath her bed. I looked back up. The woman was now fully sitting upright. How is it serving God? The way she said the question was almost in curiosity, like she'd actually like to know the answer. There was a slight smile of hers that came across as more of a grimace. The sun behind us took a small step forward. I took a deep breath and I started to feel panic in the deepest part of my chest. I looked at the woman again. We're liking it fine. It's very rewarding to be serving the Lord. I heard my companion say from behind me. I felt everything within my skin scream at me to move away from Mother. I looked back to Mr. Coulter. He was unmoving at this point, but beyond the door frame and inside the room now. 
And I do mean he was truly unmoving. He could have fooled me if he was even breathing at all. He stood there so very, very still. As I looked back to the woman inside the bed, she had shifted herself forward without my notice. She was much, much closer to me now. Instead of a bed's length, she was now nearly arm's reach from me. And then I saw it. Dear God in heaven, her eyes. I finally saw her eyes. Believe me, I know how insane this will sound, but I've never seen anything like it. They weren't brown or blue, but a deep and bracing red. I've never seen anyone's eyes like that since in my life. She was trying to scare me. She was trying to make me sink. And I saw it in her face. She was drinking in my fear. I was a fine wine for her. Even my companion had noticed the woman's eyes, and she stepped over to place her hand on my shoulder, giving it a small squeeze. I'm so sorry you're feeling sick. I think it may be best if we came back at a later time when, when you're feeling better. I could hardly get out the sentence as I stood up from the bed and backed into my companion, accidentally stepping on one of her feet. No, no. Let's pray. The woman clasped her hands together and bent her head. I folded my arms and reflexively began to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as I continued mid-sentence of mine, I felt Sister Garcia's hand squeeze my shoulder again, nearly digging into my skin. I continued talking and quickly closed the prayer. I looked up to Sister Garcia, and she was looking at Mr. Coulter, who was very close now. Thank you, sisters. Mother gave an affirming coo. I looked back over to her. She was smiling a little. Thank you for inviting us over. We should get going to our next visit. The woman's Cheshire grin widened, leaned forward, pushed back her blanket. She swung the tops of her legs over the side of her bed under the covers. And then she stood up on the floor. She stood up on her two perfectly solid and complete legs. I swear to you on anything you'll believe. She did not have legs under her covers when she was lying down. And now, Mother, who was, quote, too ill to come downstairs to pray, unquote, now stood up before me. I said goodbye again hastily and brushed past Mr. Coulter in the door. He himself was still unmoving as a statue as my companion and I walked down the stairs and saw ourselves out. He didn't even turn around to look at us leaving. I looked over to my companion sitting, staring straight forward from her seat on the train. She and I were together in total silence, listening to the scratches and whirs of the underground, the occasional beeps. I felt sick to my stomach, and I began to cry a little. 
mostly out of relief. Finally, Sister Garcia spoke, clearing her throat. <clears throat> I am. Uh, I didn't close my eyes for that prayer. I did that thing that some little kids do, you know, where they pretend to close their eyes, but really you can see a sliver through your eyelashes, just enough. I saw Mr. Coulter take out a small pocket knife. What? I felt ice go through me. That's not all. Sister Garcia continued. She and I rocked back and forth to the weight of the moving train. I grabbed you during the prayer when he cut his palm and specifically was bleeding on the floor by making a fist. I felt numb and grabbed Sister Garcia's hand. She was shaking and she grabbed tighter onto my hand too. Sister Garcia, I'm pretty sure you saw her eyes too. She nodded at me. I'm telling you, something inside me knew if she touched me at all. That would have been the end of something. Something that they were both building up to. I had that feeling too. Sister Garcia said, and the rest of the trip was done in silence. Later that evening, we called our mission president to tell him about that house. He sounded really alarmed. You went where? Yes, we received a call from them for a visit. Give me that address again. Oh, sisters. He trailed off a little. Hey, sisters. Yes, I'll get you the list of homes that are blacklisted. I know that address. And you're not the first to report strange encounters there. They've been known to call local missionaries around here all the time. I'm telling you now, never go back. I looked at my sister companion. Neither of us had any idea missions had a list of homes that were off limits in any way. I felt naive for not knowing that. But after meeting Mother, I now understood. Thank you for listening and Merry Christmas to you all. I hope you have a lovely holiday season and I'm grateful you decided to spend a little time with me today. We'll see you soon.